Welcome to Common Room's Perfect 10 series, where we have 10 plus minute conversations with community and DevRel leaders live on Twitter Spaces. We host a new leader on Twitter Spaces nearly every Wednesday morning between 10.30 and 11 a.m. Pacific time. I am Rebecca, the head of community at Common Room, which is the intelligent community growth platform that helps you build and activate your community so you can nurture your members, identify and contact uh, connect with your product champions, create internal advocacy for community investment, drive business impact, and perhaps most importantly for community and DevRel leaders, build products and experiences that people love together. You can get started with Common Room for free today at room.io, and you can connect and grow with more than a thousand other community and DevRel leaders in our Uncommon community Slack. You can find out more about that at the link commonroom.io slash uncommon. Our special guest today is Chris Riley, a self-professed bad coder turned dev advocate, who's the senior manager of DevRel at HubSpot, who you may also know from his veritable cornucopia of work at Fixate, Splunk, DevOps.com, and his podcast, Developers Eating the World. Hey, Chris, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm curious, though, like you said, it's called Perfect 10. How are you going to know if I'm a Perfect 10 not on video? Well, you're, you're a Perfect 10 in my book already. Check out all the avatars here. We're actually a Perfect 100 collectively. Um, but Perfect 10 started off as the Perfect 10 minutes of conversation. So it was like 10 minutes. like, <laughs> And it's sort of a, let's, there's, let's say there's been some creep. And these usually end up being like 25 to 30 minutes. So that's why we hold the whole half hour. Um, so Perfect 10 is now a, a 10 plus. We're actually all, th these ones go to 11. Yeah, I don't think you could ever get me to only talk for 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, I am also guilty of that. So let's talk a little bit about, about you. I'd love to hear, I mean, like we said, Fixate or Splunk, Fixate. You've been working for Dev or contributing to DevOps.com for a long time. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about your career, career trajectory and then what you do at HubSpot today. And by that, I mean, like, what you actually do, because DevRel encompasses so many things, right? There are people that are educating, using, you know, through blog posts, through discussion, making tutorials, they're giving live workshops, they're traveling, they're um, evangelizing the brand. There's, like, some do documentation, some are sending out swag. So, like, what do you do? How did you get here? And what do you do at HubSpot as a senior manager for DevRel? Yeah. Uh, well, again, th thanks for having me. Uh, when you look at my career history, it kind of looks like this splattering of, you know, different roles that I've dabbled in from product management, to product marketing, to sales, to what started my career uh, as a developer um, building an OCR engine. And the reality is, though, that it, it paints a very clear picture on both how I ended up in developer advocacy, but also the developer advocacy and DevRel industry at large. So about 15 years ago, um, I, I made my journey to the Bay Area to become a real developer, a real boy, and um, seeking that Silicon Valley dream. And that's where I got my chops in software development, you know, from a like industrial perspective. And I really liked it. It was great. Um, but I found out very quickly, I, I was, I was, I had a strong aptitude towards application architectures and algorithms and the higher level, more conceptual stuff. My code itself was fine, but buggy as hell. Uh, and I was never a great, just heads down coder. And so as I looked at like what the possibilities were in that organization, I noticed that I had a real strong interest in getting on the phone with the customer who was a developer and explaining to them what they could do, how they might approach things, how they might do things better. And that 
before we had this evangelism um, at the time, which that's kind of how it all started, tech evangelism, you know, after Guy Kawasaki in Apple. And I would say even before DevRel in, in advocacy was a thing. So I quickly progressed from this heads down coder perspective to somebody who was very passionate about stewardship and education and helping the developers do better. Um, I guess I got to live through them because they're the great coders and I get to be part of the technical trip without actually uh, writing the code. And it was really fun. And eventually, and I, I think this is kind of win cloud native applications started to be, become more of a thing. And we started to look at concepts around release automation and DevOps and, you know, MVPs and services versus monolithic and all of that good stuff that the industry itself really realized that you can't just do marketing. You can't just do sales. If you are approaching a developer audience um, to, to best serve them, and also best serve you as a company, either selling directly to them or partnering with them, you need to take a different approach. And so developer evangelism at that time just started to become a role. And you would see it in, in smaller companies and, and Microsoft kind of turned it into, I, I guess I would say it was kind of the first big company to, to solidify it when they transitioned their program managers. And so I, I rode that way. Um, and I think I've, I've been a technical or developer advocate for three separate industries at this point, which is, which is kind of cool to say. And it's allowed me to build a formula. And, I, and I'm very proud of the formula and the playbook that I've, I've evolved over time. And my, my time at Fixate, who I was one of the co-founders of, was actually where I really got the greatest exposure to about 150 different companies building and um, marketing for developers. And I learned what worked, I learned what didn't work. And that's, that's where I, I really kind of solidified in my mind, the strategic elements, not just being an advocate, but the strategic elements of advocacy. So that's what I do today. Um, HubSpot, I lead a team of five amazing developer advocates. And I'm not just saying that because they're the ones, there's, there's a chunk of them on the line. Um, I'm saying that because like, that, that's really important to me. I, I think any leader in developer advocacy, you need to understand that you should be taking the back seat and letting your advocates shine. And so um, amazing team. We are part of a broader DevRel team. And I think a lot of people will treat DevRel and advocacy as synonymous. They really aren't. DevRel is more of a category of goals and strategies. And advocacy is, is very a, a very specific thing engaging and creating content for developer audience. Ooh, that's super interesting. So it's actually, you're calling me out here. I mean, not for purposely, in a nice way. Uh, <laughs> but I think I sometimes use those two interchangeably. Like, hey, if you're a dev advocate or a DevRel builder, and you're making a distinction there, right? Which is, those mm -hmm. two things are complementary, but not necessarily synonymous, right? They're not necessarily like control F, replace with. Correct, yeah. I mean, the, for example... Um, one of my peers, uh, uh, SJ, uh, who leads our developer community efforts, this, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the skill set that that she has is is not a skill set I have, and and it's you know it's a very and and you know this as well like it's a very specific thing to run a community, build the systems for a community, understand what it takes to get peer to peer engagement and and so forth, and so 
there's a there's a broad range of skills that have to fit into DevRel. That includes developer marketing, which is a you know can be some combination of product marketing, working with like ecosystem and apps, application quality, um, advocacy, as we've said, developer experience, which could which is kind of a concept maybe product and you know looking at what developers need and maybe design elements. So DevRel, by and large, I, I would say is is not the same as developer advocacy, which is a very specific thing. Yes, and you sort of touched on this. Well, first, I want to compliment your combination of steward and education. I think those are two wonderful nouns or, you know, could be transformed into, into an adjective in a way, like, uh, or maybe not an adjective. I'm going to get the language wrong, but the idea mm-hmm. of being a steward and being an educator and mm-hmm. having stewardship and education within a developer community um, you and I had talked a little bit about some of the things that we might, some of the topics we might touch on in this conversation, but I'm going to throw a curveball and actually maybe jump to one of the last topics because Good. you talked about the formula and the playbook that you put together over time, the strategies that you used across Fixate and beyond and saw what worked, what didn't work across like, you know, more than 60, 70, hundreds of companies. And so as far as I know, Bertie told me that you might be working on a book and I think that this formula and playbook or some of these learnings from it are, are probably a big part of that. So can you talk a little bit about what you mean when you say a formula of what works or a playbook, playbook strategies around what works? Yeah, yeah, I can. Um, yes, I am writing a book. Uh, I'm writing it in conjunction with a senior editor over at Fixate um, because he helps make my life so much easier when it comes to putting words on paper or, or thoughts on paper. Um, his name's Chris Tati. And uh, yeah, you know, so let me first say, like, in the developer advocacy world, we have a massive glut of strategy. And what I mean is that we're very used to, like, identifying the, the attributes of an advocate. We're good at, like, generally understanding what are they supposed to do? Engage. Like, be present and engage. What we're not good at doing is saying, well, how do you scale it? How do you measure it? You know, where does it go in the future? How do you make it align to your business objectives? And this doesn't do justice to the company, and it also doesn't do justice to the advocates because, you know, if you've ever lived this role, you know that you've probably had the conversation about KPIs and focus and so forth more than once. And so having a clear definition of what that is and how you achieve it is, is really important. And I've seen this across the board. And so that's really what inspired me to write the book because, um, like I said, I'm very proud of what I would consider the playbook that created in my experience, but I've created together with my team, which is, which is really awesome as well. And in, in, in my previous teams and, um, I wanted to have something that, that people could really build on top of that, you know, helps them organize their advocacy, but also helps them explain it to their boss, um, because that's one of the biggest challenges that you'll find. And so really what I, I, I focus on is, you know, number one, like how do you organize your team? What do you organize around? We organize ourselves around three clear work products. One is external advocacy. One is internal advice and the other is you know, something we call growth projects, which I think arguably, arguably find a different name for it. And then also the advocates themselves, like how do you create focus for them? And we focus around what we call journeys, which is a combination of personas, driving factors. It's not just um, a title and, and a specific stack. It's, you know, what motivates them? Why do they do it? Um, you know, where, where are they trying to get? What are they trying to do next? And then the advocates are off to the races. Once, once they've been assigned a journey, 
And it makes it very clear on, you know, who's doing what and why they're doing it. And I, I really want to share that with um, everybody else. So if you're, if you're ready for it, you're going to have to wait about a year because if you've ever written a book, you know, it takes forever. Um, but it's, it's going to be really powerful. They really do take a long time. Um, I think I read a book not necessarily related to um, the community building aspects of things, but I think it took me like four years. So one year <laughs> you are crushing it. Let me tell you what. Um, so you talk about attributes of an advocate. And then, you know, earlier you made that distinction between advocates and DevRel builders. And for example, you talked about the fact that uh, you and SJ have very different skill sets and bring very different strengths to the table. So let's talk about that in, in terms of like uh, hiring. Um, something mm-hmm. that I love that you say is you say specifically on some of your like social um, channels, if you will, or your whatever we call those profiles, you say, I hire techies who are more talented and intelligent than me to help external developers grow better with HubSpot and DevRel. Um, and so I love that you have that focus of the, focus on hiring around, like really looking for people who will raise the bar, elevate you, you and your team's work. And um, so when you are hiring, what are some of the things that you might hire for the attributes, let's say, of an advocate or a DevRel builder? I'm sure there's a lot of Venn diagram um, combinations or, or overlaps there. And then I know that neurodiversity is important to you. So maybe yeah, talk about how that fits into the, the broader picture of hiring as well. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I'm glad you use attributes because I think hiring against uh, uh, attributes is, is a very important thing because it helps very clearly define you know, how you hire, how you promote. And it also helps uh, eliminate some of the biases that, that we all tend to have. Um, when, I, when I think about hiring, yeah, first, number one, you know, I should say there's no lack of ego in the developer advocacy world. <laughs> it's kind of part of the job. And um, I've done that. I, I really enjoyed it. Like, I would say that you know, in my uh, Microsoft advocacy days um, and .NET development days was probably my heyday for being an advocate out there and just, you know, people knowing me and I didn't know them and book signings and all of that good stuff. And it, it's fun, but I got burned out of that at, at some point. And I think it has a little bit to do with my personality. I'm, I'm actually an introvert, whether it seems like it or not. And I decided, you know, I think it's more fun to take the talent of other people and try to nurture that into being something better than I ever was. And so that, that is a sense of achievement for me, and, and that's how I look at hiring. I'm not hiring somebody to emulate what I've done. I'm not hiring somebody to, you know, be divvy out responsibilities to. I really want to hire somebody who is much more talented than me and naturally more technical than me and really has that um, empathy and drive to help developers do better, build better, as we say at HubSpot. And, and so that's, that's the first thing. And, and that's, that's important to me. Then the next piece is, you know, I don't really care if you've been an advocate before. Um, obviously, we have different tiers or, or um, seniorities we hire for. And, and depending on the attributes for that seniority, it's going to change. I'd say that the best advocates don't come into advocacy because they already have a social following or they're already popular or all of that stuff. They come into advocacy because they love technology, they love sharing, and they're genuine. And if you, those are the things that I can't teach somebody. Like I, I can't, I can't teach you what it's like to work in an engineering team. 
I can't teach you how to be genuine and honest and humble, um, which at HubSpot, HubSpot is part of our hot heart um, principles. And I can't teach you to really have a drive to do better for the developer. I, I can't teach any of that. What I can help steward, not teach, is how to engage because I've seen it done. I've seen what works, what doesn't work. You know, it, just a ton of experience at my time at Fixate on you know, how 150 plus companies were doing this, I, I need that. And so when I look for talent, I'm not, I, I've seen the mistake happen so many times, especially with startups where they go, ah, you just find somebody who has a following of 15,000 people on Twitter and it's a magic bullet and we're going to be rich. And it doesn't work out because <laughs> that person eventually leaves and all of that following leaves with them. Um, so I think it's, I, I really like to think about the, the individual. Now, Talking about the individual, you know, first thing I would ask everybody who's listening, like, do you feel like today when you came to work, you came as your full self or did you bring a whole bunch of baggage with you? Not everybody has baggage, um, but the freedom of being able to come to work and be yourself is exactly how you can be genuine and be a better advocate. And so part of that for me is you know, I'm diagnosed um, hypomanic, which is up for debate currently with my therapist. So I might be telling you something different in a few months as I dig deeper into that. Uh, my superpowers are ADHD and dyslexia. And when I say my superpowers, I, I literally mean it. Um, I, would not, I would have never been a developer advocate had I not realized and had a dopamine-deprived brain. <laughs> like It's a huge part of what drives me. And also, I would have never been an advocate if I didn't have to learn new ways to communicate um, due to dyslexia. And so neurodiversity is, is extremely important to me. And I, I said superpowers because I believe they are. And I think in the world of advocacy, um, normal sucks. Like, there's no reason to be normal. We, we're all techies. We should all um, be ourselves. We should embrace our quirks. You know, sometimes we have to do that in a respectful way because like sometimes it can come off not so great, but we should all just be able to be ourselves. And when you're a navigate, you have to be yourself because if you're not, people will see it. They will identify that immediately and you've lost your ability. And so all of this kind of comes together as, you know, making sure that like your advocate talent is just not there for the popularity contest is, is really there to love engaging and loves helping developer audiences. I love that. Thank you for diving in so deep. And I, I loved how you talked about the heart principle um, that you all have at HubSpot and that part of that is being genuine, honest, and humble. And at first you said, we can't teach that. Or you said, you can't teach that. And I was like, ah, I think you could probably, but then you were like, keep listening, Ruba, because then you again made the distinction. You were like, you know, I can't teach it. I can steward it. And by mm -hmm. that, you know, it's like you can lead by example, you can guide, you can offer feedback, and, you know, then it's on um, your, your, your teammate or colleague to internalize that and understand how to then bring their full, genuine, honest, and humble self. Um, mm -hmm. But I love how you were like, I was like, I was like, well, let me, and I was like, well, you just keep going. And I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah, you, you answered my question. Um, so thank you for, yeah, diving so deep on that. One thing that I wanted to ask here, right, so we're talking about, you know, hiring, we're talking about what it means to embrace your differences and to be your full self and how that is great in terms of attributes of both developer advocates, developer relations, and I think community builders and hopefully 
employees at all different parts of the organization. Um, let's talk specifically about what, for example, those individuals might do um, in terms of HubSpot. And so behind the scenes before this call, like officially, quote, quote, started, um, I was like, let's talk about DevRel for modern apps. And um, how do you describe a modern app? And I was like, oh, I totally bring my AWS uh, previous background bias to it. Whereas like, you know, it's, it's serverless or containers, it's pay for value. And you're like, yeah, like, uh, let's, act let's actually define what we mean by modern apps, um, a cloud, which I think we sort of settled on. Foundationally, it's cloud native. Um, mm. But when, when you talk about doing DevRel for modern apps, will you define that, that quickly? Or um, it doesn't have to be quick, but will you define that first? <laughs> and then we can talk about, you know, there's so many, it used to be, you know, AWS, like you said, Microsoft started it. It was developer relations for the tech for tech, or what sometimes I call the plumbing of tech, because there's such deeply technical kind of back-end infrastructures or, you know, front-end, and but API stuff. And so it's like, okay, we need education. We need DevRel folks and developer advocates to go out and help teach people how to use these tech for tech. Um, and now it's expanding into developer advocacy and developer relations is, is being hired for by all kinds of companies. Um, and so... How have you seen that evolve? And then where does HubSpot fit into that landscape? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the quick, well, you've got the definition down. I, I normally refer to it as, as cloud native. And I'd say that, you know, as a part of cloud native, it's not just the SaaS applications. It's also how they're delivered. Um, the velocity of modern delivery chains and the complexity and the ability to deliver functionality faster has also created a demand for engaging with developers in a more meaningful way. Because it's really, really hard to keep current on technology and that makes it even harder. <laughs> so like you, you just look away for one second, you're behind. Um, the, the evolution has been uh, super interesting. And I, I, again, I, I think it, it all started back in the days where it just like came from this necessity of, you know, pure product marketing and pure sales was not only not working, it was offending developers because working with developers is all me about meeting expectations. Um, and they weren't meeting expectations. Like they wanted to solve problems. They wanted to get quick answers to the things they needed. Good documentation, which by the way, I would argue documentation is also part of the whole DevRel skill set. Um, but I, yeah, I'd say it probably did start in tech for tech. And, and that's also where I started is where you are engaging with the developers both as a customer and a what I'll call a partner, somebody who's trading with your product to get better or expand the functionality if you have a platform. And now you certainly see companies who like like HubSpot, where you know our focus is really the, the developer is the partner, the the integrator, the one who is taking their knowledge and expanding the capabilities of HubSpot in specific verticals or or um, uh, being able to build specific things for companies to solve very specific problems versus companies like like Splunk, where it was tech for tech, but there was a bifurcation between those developers who are using it day in, day out as their logging tool and those developers who are building integrations into Splunk. Um, so you still had both. And I'd say that the job of the advocate hasn't changed and it doesn't change in, in either of those scenarios. What does change and, and has always been different org structure and the KPIs. So your KPIs are generally going to be different if you are part of the sales motion, I'll say. And I, I say that very loosely because sales is not something any advocate wants to hear, but you're part of the sales and marketing motion versus really being part of 
taking developers who are already kind of in the fold and make them more successful or inviting new developers into the fold to start integrating with your application. Does that make sense? I, I did rush it a bit because I knew. Yeah, I think it totally makes sense. And um, I, 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 I want to just touch on really briefly that idea of like sales. And I think there, it is sort of a hot button word, but I'm totally in the camp of like, Sales is not a dirty word, right? I, I believe that the, the true goal of sales is to match people who are looking for value from a product, someone who can you know, close that loop and deliver that product value and say, cool, we have a match, this does make sense, because it's in everyone's best interest. Like maybe, maybe in some cases, or hopefully it's closer to the past, it was like, hey, sell anything no matter what. But like I think we've seen over time that like churn and customer retention and customer um, trust and like earning customers for life, a short sale is, is a short-sighted way to approach that. So I hope mm -hmm. that we're moving yeah. into this space where sales isn't a dirty word. Sales is one of those people, one of those teams within an organization that can match delivering value from a product to the person who wants that value delivered to them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I, and I'd say that it, it, that's a very powerful statement because a lot of times what you're doing in, in advocacy is, is reducing frictions, not not directing. You're guiding, not directing. So just as a man manager of developer advocates should be focused on stewardship of the advocates, advocates should be focused on the stewardship of the customers, dictating, uh, reducing their friction and helping guide them in the direction that's going to be meaningful and hopefully lead to delusion that they want to use or, or purchase this product. And even in companies like HubSpot, like when our developers are, when our external developers are more successful, our customers are more successful. And when our customers are more successful, then there's more of them using the product. So it, it is part of the, the bottom line at the end of the day. It's just an extra hop. Totally. And I do totally believe too that especially in the tech world, we see, you know, I, I think the number is like around two or two and a half years before people um, explore their roles or go to other organizations or take their skills and expertise, mm -hmm. you yeah. know. And so it's so important that if you build trust with that and who is a individual who is a community member, that they will then enter their next organization and still say, well, why don't we use HubSpot? I love working Absolutely. with them. I trust them. Mm -hmm. I I have had success working with them. And so, I do, yeah, it's a rising tide lifts all boats, I think. Um, it's probably the fastest way to say it that I just articulated in like 30 more paragraphs. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. One of my favorite things to do is, is to use my experience and have conversations outside of work <laughs> about that experience because you know we're all in our jobs it's like sometimes you feel like that's that's all you're good at but if i can leverage that in um, conversations to help other people grow their careers i i absolutely love 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 that um you know parting thoughts first of all um i i really appreciate uh you putting this together and i think that this is a really fun space to pay attention to because we are at the point where DevRel is gaining a lot of maturity and you're going to see organizations like HubSpot and, you know, you can list about five or six other organizations out there that like have really kind of figured it out. And that's going to shepherd across, you know, all um, spaces and it's going to be really awesome. So if you're considering getting into advocacy or DevRel, it's, it's, it's the place to be. It's, it's a little, you know, um, uh, it's, it, it's adrenaline filled right now. There's still some uncertainty and things coming out and people waiting for my book in a year. Um, just kidding. That's a big ego. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> but, but 
I cannot picture a future uh, in the tech world where this is not a key and prominent function. I agree. And I'm so excited to walk hand in hand, avatar there into that visual. <laughs> avatar to avatar. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just for everyone, you can either can find him at Hoarding Info uh, on Twitter and Chris Riley working at HubSpot on LinkedIn. Um, Chris, thank you again. Thank you, thank you to every one of you who has joined, who has listened. And uh, we will see you next time. Have a really wonderful rest of your week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.